Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. It was a good time last night. I hope that you were watching the game. Uh, I was at a, a friend's house and we were watching and I realized I have a sermon tomorrow morning. I'll just go till the end of the game. And I'm pretty sure I took off. I don't remember like maybe like a second before the final quarter was over. It was going to be great. You know, just kind of sad moment. And I get back and I start getting the notifications. And then I'm like, okay, I will just, just this end of this overtime and just this overtime turned into six. But I will tell you, I actually turned the phone and put it away at the end of the sixth overtime. So I didn't actually run the race with endurance all the way to the end, unfortunately. But it is all good because I, when my wife got back, I was like, so we lost, right? She's like, no, we won. And I'm like, yes, awesome job. So I am very encouraged by your presence here today. I don't know if you were at the game. I was talking with a friend earlier. They got home at like 1240 from the game. They were there. Kudos to you guys. So my name is Benjamin Pinkerton, and me and my wife currently live in Dallas. But a couple years back, I worked here at Grace Bible Church with Creekside specifically. That's right. I, I was like this, uh, this hybrid role where I worked with youth and with Club 56. And Grace really is a home for me and Kara. Just really a great time where we learned and grew in our faith, found community, and really learned to start treasuring the Word of God. So it is really a big, big privilege to be back here with you guys. I really hope that your Thanksgiving was awesome. I hope that your time with family was really sweet. And as you have, or if if you haven't noticed, we're also taking time to realize that holidays are difficult for a lot of us. A lot of us have lost loved ones, are facing struggles, and we don't want you to come to church putting on a mask and trying to look a certain part. We want you to be able to come as you are because that's exactly how God calls us to him, just as we are. So I have this spiritual gift. It's called uh, Child Jungle Gym. That's, that is a special gift I have. It's, it's the gift where when there's a lot of people in a room trying to have grown-up conversation, but there's kids, you always got to have that one guy that's off in the corner playing with all the kids. And the kids are climbing up me and pulling my hair, and I'm constantly doing like thrusters, like throwing them in the air, catching them, front squats, all that good stuff, just playing with the kids continuously. And that's a duty that I take joyfully. I love it. That's partly why I did Club 56. It was such a good time for me. A lot of energy. So we're going out to Woodson, which probably don't know where that is. That's where my wife's grandmother lives and her family. And I get there and I am pretty much the only male for Thanksgiving this year. I look around all these ladies, but my little cousin was there. My cousin has long, blonde, curly hair, three-year-old boy named Ramsey. And Ramsey and me, of course, we just hit it off instantly. I am, I think it's within an hour, I'm in the backyard in his little playhouse and he's cooking me bacon, right? Fake bacon, but it was still such a treat. The entire time I'm like helicoptering and airplaning him, I'm always with him. It's a great time. And I started to notice something about this kid. This kid is full of joy, He is full of joy. He's always having fun. Big smile on his face. 
He's really, really good communicator for a three-year-old. It's pretty impressive. So he's just constantly going. But I did notice, and I was talking with his mom about this, there is something that can upset Ramsey. All of that joy and all of that peace will quickly go away. And what will ensue will be chaos, be sadness and grief and turmoil. And what that was when he was taken out of the presence of his mom, taken out of the presence of his mom. And some of you have probably experienced this. Me and my wife currently are doing four and five-year-old ministry at the church that we work out in Dallas at. And they drop these kids off. And at first they're really excited until their parents leave. And then chaos and sadness. And we're just not good enough as their parents. But we try. We really do. Right? And that's what I noticed about Ramsey. And sorry, I started to think about why is Ramsey the way he is? And it was two things that came to mind as I was thinking through this sermon. One, Ramsey, when he was with his mom, knew that she was in control of all situations. He knows that if anything comes my way, mom is powerful enough and in control to take care of the situation. And two, Ramsey knows that his mom cares for him, that she's good. So not only is she in control of the situations, but in the moments that hard times come, she's there for him. She cares about him. She wants his ultimate good. And why do I tell you that? Because we just talked about joy and all through this letter, going through this series, Paul is commanding the people to live lives distinctive by their joy in Christ, no matter what situation they face, that they're supposed to have this mindset of joy. And as we look at our lives, if we're honest, when we say, my life, when I think about it, is it really marked by freedom in Christ? Is it really marked by joy in the Lord? This unfading joy that goes through any situation, I'm right there joyful. Or when we look at our lives, do we say, my life is more characterized by anxiety, by worry, and by concern? And I would say most of us in this room would say, I'm, I'm option number two, unfortunately. And so today, when we're going to look at Philippians 4, 4 through 9, Paul is going to again tell the Philippian church and us today to rejoice in the Lord always. And he's going to give us the antidote. Well, maybe he will. He's going to give us the antidote. This isn't working. To anxiety. So we will be in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And Paul is going to talk about not only are we supposed to be characterized by joy in our life, which is the combatant of this sorrow, this anxiety, this concern. But he's going to give us three things that we are called to do. Called to do this antidote to anxiety. So if we can put Philippians 4, 4 through 9 on the screen and read along with me, team. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all men, The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Next slide. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, 
whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you all. Let's pray one more time. Well, Father, we come to you right now hearing messages like this, hearing Paul tell the church to rejoice always, to think of your goodness, to practice these things. And yet when we look at our lives, God, it is so, so difficult to live lives marked by joy because our lives are constantly being bombarded by the crashing waves of anxiety, of stress, of unknown situations that are constantly holding us back, of death and sorrow and grief and all these things that we seemingly can't control, God, and we need help. So I pray today, God, that as we study this passage, we will have our eyes opened, that we will hear what you have to tell us, God, that we can talk with you, we can think about you, and we can treasure our relationship with you, God. I pray that any distraction that we brought in this room, anything that's an outside external circumstance going on that is distracting us from this opportunity to spend in your word, to study your scripture, to know you better, to live lives joyfully, I pray that you would remove those. And any distractions we have in this room, God, I do pray that we would be able to focus You would remove the veil and allow us to be faithful to you, living lives marked by our relationship with you, God. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So... At Dallas Theological Seminary, I am, I, uh, first, first semester I get there, and I'm in a biblical counseling class. And at the very end of this class, they're selecting 10 people to give presentations on the top 10 most struggled things that people come to counseling for. 10 of the most, thank you. Oh, this is cool. 10 of the most big stresses that we face that's around the globe that people go to counseling for. And I was the last one of the semester and my topic was anxiety. And as I got to study anxiety, worry, stress, concern, it blew my mind how much scripture talks about it. It blew my mind how much everyone struggles with it. Chronic warriors that struggle eight plus hours every single day. And when I looked at scripture, I realized that the way that God talks about our worry, our anxiety, our stress is in our future tense. You see it in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking to his people. And he said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. He says, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He addresses our anxiety and our worries in the future tense. So that starts to shape, okay, what is anxiety? It's something pertaining to our future, an unknown situation or circumstance. Studying it medically, looking at how people describe people with chronic worry is that it is a self-absorbed struggle that eats at their mind, that debilitates them as they're thinking towards an unknown negative future consequence. So I have a definition on the screen. What is worry? An excessive worry or concern about a negative outcome that involves our future. And here's the key. It keeps us from the joy that God intends for us. 
So when we talk about anxiety, we know, hey, we're supposed to be people marked by joy. We know that anxiety is going to directly offset our joy. If we are focused on the unknown future circumstance, it will cripple us to a place that we cannot be a people marked by joy. And as I studied again, anxiety, I realized that anxiety has this crazy ability to completely bypass barriers that other struggles actually go through. So with people, it's all ages, all races, all cultures, all genders. Everyone struggles with this type of worry in some way or another. So then when I look at scripture, I see, oh, the most common command in the Bible Many different renditions of it is do not worry, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. And yet here we are struggling every day about anxiety, anxiety about our kids and their future, college, setting them up for great careers. We're struggling with job security. We're worried about our health. We're worried about our age and getting older. We're worried about death. We're worried about so many different things. So my question is why? This is obviously not what God intends for us or he wouldn't tell us all throughout scripture not to worry. So why do we worry? My answer is proximity. A little astronomy for you. That is the solar system. So there's planets. They're going all around the sun. And there's, you know, there's argument about if Pluto's a planet and then we added this other planet, all these different things going on. But the key I want you to take is that the solar system is actually pretty ordered. We know where every planet is based on its orbit, its trajectory, its velocity. We know its tilt of its axis. We can say where planets will be based on one thing, the stabilizing presence of the sun, the stabilizing center that is keeping all the other planets in their correct orbit. What would happen if we took the sun out of the solar system? What would happen would be like when you took Ramsey from his mom, like what happens when all those four and five-year-olds come to our class and their parents leave. They are removed in proximity from a stabilizing presence. And that, my friends, is exactly what has happened with us and why we all struggle with anxiety. You see, in Genesis, God created everything to be perfect. He created it all to be good. There was no worry or concern about the future, unknown circumstances, because God was good. He was in control, and they lived with him in the garden. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and they sinned. And they sinned in two ways. The reason they sinned, two reasons. Number one, they didn't believe God was good enough. They didn't trust his goodness. And number two... They wanted his control. They didn't trust his goodness and they wanted his control. And remember why Ramsey is so content with his mom is because he trusts that she's good and he trusts that she's in control. So now all of us, because of their rebellion, also struggle with all of life's unknown circumstances. The deaths in our families, the illnesses that we face, the unknown circumstances that make us have to jockey for position and we add stresses to our lives to try to prepare ourselves for all of the unknown. All of that is a byproduct of proximity from God. That sin brought that into the world. And yet there is a solution and it's found in verses four and five. 
Read along. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all men. The Lord is near. We have to remember Paul's situation when he's telling these people to rejoice always. He sends this letter filled with joy all throughout. Paul, in chapter one, four times repeats that he is in chains. He is a prisoner in Rome for the gospel's sake. And later in verse nine, we'll see that he says, do what I'm doing, practice what I'm practicing. I am joyful in the midst of this. So we can know right off the bat, if Paul is saying it in the situation he found himself, then our situations, we can also somehow be joyful. And not just rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord always. Somehow we can always be rejoicing. This word gentleness, let your gentleness be evident to all men. This word has the idea of gentle forbearance. It's the idea of yielding your own personal rights for the sake of others. If y'all came a couple weeks back and heard Matt Morton's sermon, Philippians 2, we are called to have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who was God, and yet what did he do? He yielded his rights, sacrificed himself on the cross that we might have life. When it says, let your gentleness be evident to all men, it is also imploring, exhorting for us to be like Christ. That we are to be a people marked by not focusing, self-absorbed in our own circumstances, but instead we yield our rights for those around us. And lastly, he finishes with the Lord is near. This is really important to you. And this is what allows us to rejoice in the Lord always in all circumstances. When we notice that the Lord is near, the person who perfectly personified this gentleness that he calls us towards, he says, Jesus is with you. He is in your midst. He intercedes on your behalf in heaven. Every time you talk with God, Christ is interceding for you. But not only that team, he is also there for you at the finish line. I know Gavin spoke recently about running the race with endurance, eyes on the prize. Well, we get to focus on our ending result where we get to be with Jesus. We get to be in the presence of God where we don't have death. We don't have pain. We don't have struggles or sorrow. Instead, we have life and the fullness and the presence of Christ, our Redeemer. And so when Paul encourages them and says, do not be, or when Paul says, rejoice, the Lord is near. He's not only saying Jesus is with you, but think about the finish line. Think about your future guaranteed inheritance. That is what encourages us. That is what keeps us going. So what he's going to do on the next couple verses, six through nine, he is going to give us three different things that we're called to do to overcome anxiety in our lives. We know it's a problem. We know we all face it. We know the solution is somehow to live joyfully, but how do we live joyfully? How do we live this antidote against anxiety out. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk. Some of you are like, I don't like to talk. Some of you really like to talk. This is good because what we're going to do is we're going to look and see in verses six and seven, Paul is going to encourage the people, what you need to do to overcome anxiety is you need to talk with the one who is in control and who is good. Let's look. Do not be anxious about anything. Now this word anxious This is not the word just be concerned because you care about something. 
Because it is okay to be concerned. When a loved one dies or their health is going down and we're concerned, that is not a bad thing. That is a good thing. It shows you love and you care. This word anxious, merimanao, this word is speaking of a mind divided, a mind that is so against itself that it is crippling. It is eating itself apart, destroying your faithfulness to the Lord, destroying your practical living. You are being attacked by your mind and you can't move forward. And a lot of us, if we're honest, we have faced situations in our life where we worry so much that we experience this crippling fear, this anxiousness that stops us in our traps, that doesn't allow us to see the goodness of God in front of us because we're blinded by the pain and the sorrow and the hurt. So what Paul's gonna call us to do is don't be anxious, but instead this is what you can do to fight that anxiety. You can talk with God. But in every situation, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Stop right there. If you look, Paul gives four different ways to describe prayer life. He's going to explain using four different ways to emphasize the importance of prayer in this passage. If you are worried, talk to God who's in control. We understand prayer is that general, pray to God, talk with God. But supplication, we see the word supplication in the first chapter where Paul is saying, I know that because of your prayers, your supplication and the spirit of God, this will turn out for my benefit. This word supplication talking about prayer is saying, I am confident that the Lord hears my prayers. The Lord hears my prayers and not only does he hear them, he answers them. How often do we approach our prayer life like one second to go in a football game and chunk it down hoping Hail Mary pass, maybe going to seven overtimes? How many of us pray as the last resort to say, you know what, there's nothing else I can do, I might as well pray. But this word supplication gives us the emphasis, when you pray before your father, you are able to be confident that what you're saying is heard and what you're asking of will be answered. It's not always going to be answered the way you want it to. Not always the way you think it should go. But God answers prayers. He's in the business of doing that. And then the third thing he says, with thanksgiving. Awesome passage for, obviously, this weekend. But what is thanksgiving? Is thanksgiving saying, God, I'm praying about this, but I am so thankful that you've already going to answer it for me. I want $100. I thank you for the $100, right? Is that what he's talking about? No, thanksgiving is the idea of looking at the faithfulness of God in your past and in your present and thanking him for his goodness in those ways. Little example. I'm driving to Woodson with my wife and she's she's a thankful person. And so she turns to me and says, hey, we should play this fun game. It's where we just talk about things we're thankful for. And I'm like, I know what you're doing. I see this. So we start going, and I've noticed this about Kara. She is thankful for things that I really don't think about. I just don't really notice. So we're driving along. She's like, I'm so thankful for the color of those trees. And I'm like, I didn't see those trees. And then she says, I am so thankful for the sky. It's beautiful. She's thankful for nature. She's thankful for seasons. All these different things that for me, I am so focused on the present. I'm so focused on what I'm doing. I didn't even learn what seasons went with which months until like a year ago. I'm not kidding, right? I just don't, I'm so oblivious. I'm just moving forward. And Kara, on the other hand, is like, look and observe how beautiful God's creation is. And I'm like, oh yeah, God's creation is beautiful. This is amazing. Wait, God made that 
so that I can delight in it, thus praising him for his beauty. Oh, okay, that's really cool. But I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have stopped and seen God's beauty or his goodness unless I had stopped and thanked him for what he had, been, he had created in my life. And so when we thank God in our prayers, we're not thanking him for what he's gonna, how he's gonna answer our prayers the way we want. We're thanking God because he's a faithful God. We're saying, I see all the ways in my life you've been faithful to me. I remember the time in my past when I went through that thing and it was hard and you sustained me. I remember when I prayed to you and you answered my prayer. I remember the hardships that I faced in my family and somehow I'm here today. You remember certain pieces in your life and you can say, God, only God could have gotten me through that place. And so if he got me through that place, I can have confidence in the future. Corey Ten Boom, she says it like this. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God because God knows your future. So we can trust God, thanking him for the past, knowing and being confident in our future. And the last way that he says we're called to pray to God is to give requests to God. This word request is only used one other time and it's where the people are demanding that Pilate crucify Jesus. That's the only other time. Let your requests be made known to God. And what is this saying? Does it say we go to God demanding that God do what we want him to do? No, this is showing that we are allowed to have emotional vigor in our prayers. We are allowed to be emotional people. Did you know that? Y'all are like, yeah, of course. I forget that a lot. In fact, a lot of the times I start to struggle with thinking that my relationship with God is based on the things that I know and facts. It's an intellectual system. It's about knowing the right things. And so I look at feelings and I say, hey, feelings are fleeting. So I'm not allowed to have feelings when I'm with God, talking to God, because I know that feelings are here and gone. And this is a great reminder for me. I'm allowed to be very emotional in my prayer life. God actually cares not just about what you say, but how you say it. He actually cares about your heart and your desires. He cares about your hurts and your pains. He knows everything that you're experiencing and he's experienced it because of the death of his loved one, Jesus. He knows all things and he cares about your feelings. And so when we go to God, team, we can pray with passion, with emotion. We can lay it all out and be vulnerable. And so often in this life, we feel like we have to have that, that wall up especially before God, but that's not how he's called us to approach him. So we look and it says, talk with God and that will overcome anxiety. Specifically, pray, believing he answers your prayers. Pray, being reminded of his faithfulness to you in the past and pray with passion. Pray with emotion. Pray to God in that relationship that you have with him. And we see next the result of that prayer, the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your, mind, and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. I love the word picture of guard. This word guard gives the word picture of an army, a bunch of troops marching around an encampment, protecting it from raiders, protecting it from anybody that would come and attack and take the preciousness found inside the camp, people and land and possessions. Instead, it says, when we pray to God, that peace will literally walk around protecting and guarding our hearts, our anxious feelings, and it will guard our anxious thoughts. That is what God does for us, with us, and to us as we pray to him. The next thing Paul's going to move in to say, the next 
peace, the antidote, not just talk to God, but I want you to do, I want you to think. I want you to think. And I really like this one because God has called us to think about him and his goodness. Let me give you an example. When I was eight years old is when I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And I was in my room and I was a seriously strange child, existential questions left and right. And I was thinking about life is just so meaningless. It's purposeless. I, I remember thinking I'm doing the same thing every single day. I'm waking up, I'm going to school, I'm coming home, doing homework, playing with friends, going to bed, repeat over and over again. And at one point I remember thinking, I don't even want to do life. It's just boring. There's no point to it. It's purposeless. And I thought about those things, which then that weekend at church, I remember the pastor talking about, man, God has offered us life in abundance and your life has meaning. It has value. It has certainty after the grave. Taken from a quote on Gladiator, the things that we do in this life, the effects, the consequences will echo into eternity, right? So I heard that I was like, that's what I want. I want a life with meaning and purpose. But I had to think about life and think about life's biggest questions. Now, when we study self-help books and we look at psychology, we look at all these different things. When's the last time someone was like, you're going through anxiety and struggle and concern and worry? What I want you to do is stop and think about life's biggest questions. I want you to think about the purpose of your life. And I want you to think about meaning and what happens to you after you die. No one says that. That's so strange. You wouldn't think that's the way to overcome anxiety. But the reality is God says, no, you get to think. Think about these things. What do we get to think about? We get to think about certainty in our future. The Lord is near. But we also get to think about God and who he is. Now, what did Ramsey realize that allowed him to be close with his mom and be at peace and be with joy? Is because he knew his mom was good. He knew his mom was in control. And guess what the scripture tells us about the God we serve and walk with? God is in control. Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. He does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the ocean depths. Psalm 135, six. God is in control. God knows all things. He knows your past, your present, your future. He has orchestrated life and no plans can thwart what God wants. But that should be terrifying to us. That should be scary to us unless our God is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. Psalm 34, 8. And Psalm 31, first half of 19. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. See, if we had a God that we only knew to be in complete control, but we didn't know he was for our good, we would be terrified. We would be all the people that we see in the Bible, worshiping other gods, trying to appease the gods, their pettiness, They're trying to do the right things to make them happy so they don't burn them or scorch them or do something. So they're making all these sacrifices. They're living in constant fear. There's no certainty about the future. They live in constant terror. Talk about worry and anxiety. Or if we only knew our God to be good, he loves us. He's concerned for us. But we didn't know that he was all powerful and in control. Then we would only be worried about the future. We wouldn't say, hey, he loves me and that's about as good as it gets. I don't know what's going to happen because he doesn't have the power to fix my circumstances. He doesn't have the power to secure me a place after death. 
You have no hope. But again, people, when we think about the character of God, we think about how God is in control and God is good. That is how we get to also overcome anxiety. And lastly, in verses 9, we get to treasure our relationship with God. We get to talk with him, we get to think about him, but we also get to treasure our intimacy and our relationship with God. An example for you. So in high school, I met this guy, we became best friends, we went all the way through high school together, really tight, convinced this guy, Bryce, I said, hey man, we should go to A&M, be in the core together. Sounds like a great idea, let's do it. He comes to A&M, brings along his twin sister, she comes along too, I'm like, cool, awesome. Later in life, their younger sister comes to A&M too. I take credit for all three. So they're all at A&M. And as I'm going through A&M, I'm looking at this, my best friend's twin sister. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, she's pretty sweet. We started hanging out while we did ministry together. And I started to notice there are things about this girl that I would want in a future partner for life that I could walk with Jesus with. But it's my best friend's twin sister right? And her family was my second family. I was calling her mom, mama by the, like sophomore year. So there was a lot of pressure team. All right. I don't know if you can understand. It. So I'm a little bit worried. I'm like, okay, well, I probably, probably shouldn't do anything. But there came a moment where I realized that I loved this woman when I was re- ready and willing to sacrifice all of that. I looked at my best friend, I looked at my second family, and I said, I love that, but I care so much about her that I'm willing to sacrifice it. And I took the chance. And thankfully it all worked out, okay? But that's what I think about in our relationship with the Lord. When we treasure something so much, and we say that is more important than anything else in all my life. That is what I desire above all else. You will rearrange your life, your thoughts, your prayers, everything around that. When we treasure our relationship with the Lord Jesus, when we focus on his goodness, when we treasure our intimacy with him, yes, we will experience trials and suffering and persecution. Yes, we will face things that will hurt our hearts. And those are real things. And we don't take away from that. They're horrible and, they're, and they are terrible because of the sin and its consequences in our lives. But when we see it from the lens of our relationship with Jesus, when we look at it and treasure our relationship with God and we say, God's goodness and control is better and more significant than any struggle I can face. It changes the way that you live. And guess what? You can be marked by joy continuously. See, in verse nine, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw, practice these things. What, Paul, what have you shown? What have you told us? What have we received from you? What was most important to Paul? What has he been talking about all throughout this letter? He says, I want your life to be worthy of the gospel. I want your life to be worthy of the relationship you have with God because of one man, Jesus Christ, who came, bled, and died for you. And that relationship with Paul and Jesus was so important to him that he was willing to take any persecution and that he would go down in history as one of the biggest missionaries of our faith. And it's because he treasured his relationship with God above all else. What does that mean for us? When we look at struggles in our lives, we don't detract from and say that that's not a big deal. But again, 
How often do we let stresses and worries and anxieties and concerns in our life become so big that we forget that God is good and God is in control. And I have a relationship with the creator of the universe through the man, Jesus Christ, who lived and died for me and rose again. When we treasure our relationship with God, other things become less significant. We see them from the limbs of the cross. And the last thing I want to look at is the God of peace will be with you. So not only when we talk with God and we think of God's goodness and we treasure our relationship with Christ, not only do we get the peace of God, which guards our hearts and our minds, but we get the God of peace himself. We get Jesus. We get intimacy with God. So I encourage you, team, as we look at these three things, when we talk, when we think, and when we treasure, we experience the peace of God in many different ways. That we can live lives marked by joy because we know God is in control of our situation. We know that God cares for us, and we know that Christ was enough for us. I'm going to put on the screen a couple things for us to think about this week. Application. What areas of your life threaten you and rob you of the joy that God intends for you? God wants you to have this mindset of joy. What is it in your life? Is it a fear or a concern about a future circumstance? Is it fear for your children not setting them up to, to play ball? And so you got to put them in so many different things. And then you realize one day your entire life revolves around a very busy schedule with no rest. Or maybe that's your job at work and you're trying to make money to secure foundation for your future and your family and everything in your life revolves around that to where it has created stress and pressure and you realize one day, I don't know if I actually trust God with this and I feel like I have to work extra, extra hard just to secure a future that I want. And it eats at you and eats at you. What area is it for you? Because all of us have places in our life that will rob you of your joy. Number two, I want you to spend time not only thinking about that, but I want you to spend time this week surrendering your concerns as prayers before the throne of grace. I want you to bring those to God. Get to talk with God. Remember that we get to talk with God with certainty that he hears our prayers. We get to talk with God knowing his faithfulness to us now and in the past, and we get to talk with God with passion. What ways can you remind yourself of God's control over your life and his care for you? I like sticky notes, just reminders. Maybe it's for you, you get to write out verses, something that reminds you God is in control. Maybe it's the verses I put on the screen earlier. Daily, I want you to write three things you are grateful for because it's very hard to constantly want something else, want to have more whenever you're thankful with the things that you have. When we look and see God And not only the things that he's given us, but we look at God and we're grateful and thankful for the characteristics of him, his goodness and his love for us and his power. That's when we can be surrendered completely to him in life's circumstances. Let's pray. Well, Father, we just come to you realizing this is hard. And there's a reason that you say it all throughout scripture to not be afraid, to not be anxious, to not be concerned so much that it debilitates and cripples us, that we might not live lives marked by joy in our intimacy and relationship with you, God. This is hard. 
And we can't do it on our own. There's not certain things that we can do. There's not just enough things that we know in theology. There's not enough things that we can just do that'll erase the pains and the hurts. But ultimately we know that it's only you that can bring us this peace, that can give us this life filled and saturated with joy. God, I pray that we would be honest with you today, that we would see our lives and understand there's great difficulties. And God, I pray that we can look at those struggles and see them through the lens of the cross. God, I pray that this week we will talk with you in intimacy. We will think of your goodness that you have shown towards us and your goodness, your characteristics that are unchanging and are unfading and never will change even in the midst of our hardships. And lastly, God, I pray that we would think about our relationship with Jesus. We will look at his life, his death, his resurrection, the power he has demonstrated over sin and struggle and that through that victory, we have victory. God, we love you and we're so grateful for Jesus. We are grateful for today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.